And we are recording back in the saddle, Mr. Brandon Weikert, and uh, he has a sore throat. And as everyone watching knows, I am still recovering from a concussion. And uh, as I'm already slurring my words, a concussion. And uh, we are, uh, again, we're going to put our brains together and hopefully operate as one normal human. He has a functioning brain. I have a functioning voice. Um, as you can see, to, uh, to the society is Winning Space. It's an awesome book about how the U.S. Thank remains you. a superpower. It'll be in the description, as always. It's a fantastic book. I've uh, you. had you on here to discuss that before. Mm-hmm. You've come on with Joe Kent, and uh, hopefully we're wrangling another uh, interesting episode with you and someone else. Um, and I'll put your Twitter in the description and all that good stuff. And I Thank will you. shut up. You've got a new book coming out soon, yeah. or relatively soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you excuse me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my next book is The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. And we might have teased this out before, but yeah. basically, um, you know, it started out as I have a chapter in my book, Winning Space, which is all about Iran's space program and how their ballistic missile and nuclear weapons program sort of uh, undergirds their space program and how their space program is not peaceful at all. Uh, and from that sort of one chapter, I had reams and reams of, of data and, and all of this research. Uh, and uh, I decided last year, around February of last year, I said to my publisher, you know, I've got all this information that I wanted to include in winning space and obviously couldn't include it all in a single chapter. Uh, and I said, you know, my, my, I previously worked a little bit on Iran policy when I worked on Capitol Hill. So why don't I spin off and 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 do a whole book on it. And it sort of ballooned into this incredible uh, experience. A gentleman named Gregory Copley was highly uh, helpful to me. He was, uh, and he worked in Iran during the Shah's time. He was Australian, uh, working with the Brits for a period of time. So his his life story is incredible. So he became a a big contributor uh, to my to my research, uh, giving me sort of first person details. And one of the things that we went over was the theory that um, Ayatollah Khomeini, for instance, uh, the founder of the Islamic Republic of Iran, is actually not totally Iranian, that his father was a British intelligence uh, operative uh, who sort of went native in the 50s. And so I I go into uh, sort of the the it's very hard to find information on that because the Iranian regime collected as much information over the last 60 years as they could, or excuse me, 30 years as they could and sort of destroyed or sort of hid it away as best they could. Uh, But I, I go into great detail about about how that is a theory and that theory may actually have a lot of merit to it, which is why the Iranian regime is so sensitive whenever questions come up about Khomeini's uh, uh, background and why he hated the British so much. I mean, he yeah. loathed the British. Uh, I get into the connections in the book between uh, sort of how he was radicalized. He didn't start out as a radical. Uh, he, Khomeini uh, was very much in the the sort of keeping of other Iranian uh, scholar um, uh, uh, uh scholar priests, if you will, uh, where he was very moderate and he became friends as a young man with a man named Nafab Safabi, uh, who was uh, a Muslim Brotherhood member. 
and was very close with Saeed Katub. Um, and it was Nawab who brought in this sort of radical jihadist mentality uh, into the Iranian political scene in the 1950s uh, and 60s. I talk about also, I sort of dispel uh, the theory that, well, if we hadn't done the 1953 coup uh, against Mossadegh, uh, we would have not had these problems with Iran today. Well, actually, it turns out that the Islamists who overthrew the Shah in 79, group actually were supporting the CIA in 1953 because they hated uh, they hated Mossadegh because he was a, a, a nationalist and he was a secularist. So they hated him as much as we didn't like him. Uh, and, and so there's sort of these things. And then I talk about in the very beginning, sort of open it up with the assassination of of Qasem um, Soleimani. Uh, and I kind of break oh, yeah. down exactly kind of how much of a bastard he was. And and how great it was that Trump just just killed him. I mean, just, you know, only Trump. And this was a guy that we had been tracking since the Clinton administration. This was a guy that George W. Bush had an entire intelligence fusion team at DIA and in the DOD established to track his every daily movement. He was such a threat. And yet from W to Obama, Nothing was done to stop this guy until Trump just woke up and was like, yeah, we're going to frag him. That's it. We're done. Just, just ice him. Just And of course, yeah. And of course, Trump got a lot of hate for that. But it turns out that Trump probably saved a lot of lives, a lot of American lives, certainly. And he complicated the ability for Iran to do this, uh, uh, this takeover strategy that they're doing uh, in Iran. And the last bit I'll say, which is probably the most controversial bit, based on my original reporting from 2020. The, if you remember in 2020, August of 2020, there was an explosion in Beirut in the yeah. port. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. An enormous explosion. Yeah. Uh, it, it had it had it detonated, uh, had the, the port not been located where it was, uh, had it been a, a located somewhere else, it would have had the same effect of, as a, a small yield yeah. nuclear weapon. But yeah. because of how it blew up and where the geographically it was located, a lot of the the damage was sort of contained. Because it's um, volumetric, so it goes out. Right, through. absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. I forget you have a background in science, so you sort of understand. Uh, I, uh, I, I pawn it off as intelligence. Don't, don't <laughs> let it fool you. So, so I, I actually spoke to a lot of, because of my connections with DOD, I talked to a lot of people off the record um, who are of the mind that that was probably not an accident, that that was either. And in fact, you know, I write for the Asia Times and I didn't realize when I was doing this chapter, a colleague of mine at the Asia Times, she had written an article about how Donald Trump when he announced this thing had happened in Beirut, he kept calling it a horrible attack. It was a horrible attack. Well, he had to walk that back, but he didn't really walk it back. It was typical Trump where he sort of acknowledged that he shouldn't have said it, but it wasn't really a walk back. And so I, I spoke with some of the people involved with that article and they're of the mind that, that he had intelligence that indicated that something went on there. Um, and we don't want quite, there's no, there's no confirmation on what it was, but that it was not an accident. And so that's chapter three or four of my, my new book. And I, I really break down, the arguments as to why it's not what it seems. When I did the original reporting at my website, thewikertreport.com, 
I got a lot of um, pushback from people. Uh, you can't be talking about this. How did you find out about this? Who are you talking to? Uh, you know, and, and I was actually, you know, my Twitter account was for a period suspended because I was tweeting about it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I figured quickly that, that this is obviously, there's something more to this story than what, so that's a big, and, and from that, I sort of spin off into the book and talk about just how much of a threat Iran is and how destabilizing it will be to allow for them to get a nuclear weapon as the Biden administration is doing. And I make the case that the Abraham Accords that Trump set up to empower the Sunni Arabs and to empower Israel to contain Iran for us, that's the way forward, not abandoning the region entirely and not letting the Iranians you know, rip across the region. The way forward is the containment strategy where we use our allies on the ground, no matter how nasty those allies may be. Look, the Saudis are a very brutal group of people, but they're our friends. They're our bastards. Yeah. And so that's sort of the book in a nutshell. Yeah, it's uh, I was going to say it kind of makes me think of was it during uh, I think it was during the Reagan administration when uh, the CIA, we had found out that the Soviets were were buying like through front companies, I think a bunch, I'm probably butchering it, a bunch of like microchips or something yeah. through a Canadian yeah. firm. And then, yeah. you know, we kept it super secret and we were like, yeah. hey, let's start kind of do almost so, almost like full spectrum warfare started. For, exactly. For, for so that, that was my mentor, John Lynchowski at the Institute oh, okay. of World Politics and Norman Bailey. Uh, you should, if you can ever get uh, a, a JL or one of those guys on, you should try. I'll shoot him a text to see please, if he's interested. Please do. Um, uh, JL will though, he will talk to you about his war stories. Uh, but one of the really? programs, one of the programs that he oversaw with Norman Bailey and David Goldman, I believe, uh, at uh, the National Security Council in Reagan's first term was that program to basically give false schematics to the Soviets. For and actually, there was a storyline. I don't know if you remember that Carrie Russell show, The Americans, that like the last season or two, there was a storyline where they used that. And that's actually a true story. The Reagan people, I know a lot of the, the old timers, the dinosaurs now who did that. They were like, well, hey, if the Soviets are going to steal from us, why don't we just give them fake schematics? If they're, if and they're shopping. Yeah, if they're right. window shopping, it's it's, right. it's why take. Please do. I'm. I'm going to make a note of that right now. Please do. Yeah, I'll send you a text. In, in I'll, I'll, with, I'll see if he's interested. Um, for any for anyone that doesn't know, it's we found out that they were buying like U.S. and Canadian, like I guess through defense contractors. Soviets were getting stuff, and they were stealing our stuff, much like the Chinese are. And instead of just exactly. slapping their hands and then instantly kind of cutting off that intel source, it's like, well, let's let's lean into it. And that's we, right. We did sort of unrestricted warfare. We attacked that's them economically. Right. Well, and, and JL's big thing for the last 12 years has been winning without fighting yeah. and sort of, you know, out, out maneuvering the way Reagan did, you know, Reagan, we talked about this before, but you know, Reagan's big thing, particularly after the 1983 Abel Archer uh nato exercise where basically we almost went to almost war. suicide yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't realize it so reagan at the time it was just to him it was you know he was being a cold warrior he didn't realize that andropov the the then head of the soviet union was a lunatic yeah. and really believed that we were going to nuclear war with them that that was a cover abel archer was a cover I've for a on, larger i've yeah. had on the author of 1983 yeah. yeah okay great 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 so like 
Um, you know, so that that was a wake up call for Reagan, that and the shooting, you know, where he was almost killed. And he realized that we've got to do something different. We can't surrender to the Soviets. We can't be Mr. Peacenik like Jimmy Carter was, but we can't go tit for tat, toe to toe with them. What we need to do is end run them. And that's when he came up with Star Wars and the Strategic mm-hmm. Defense Initiative. And we're going to outmaneuver them and out innovate them. Uh, and we're, you know, we're going to shift from the insanity, as he thought, mad, mutual assured destruction to mass, mutual assured survival. Yeah. And, and that was sort of, Reagan was actually not, I've written about this, my friend Daniel McCarthy has written about this. Uh, you know, Reagan was not actually a neoconservative. He was, he was a hawk. But he wasn't a neocon. He he was actually a one of the a, abolition a, of nuclear weapons. That's right. That's right. He was actually the biggest peacenik of them all. But he was a smart. He peacenik. knew how to. He knew how to. Yeah, he knew how to put on the. the he he was Jimmy Carter, but he just wasn't as stupid and right. as. Uh, he was actually an old version of of JFK. I found an interview. Yeah. Okay. I posted it on Twitter yesterday. It's a forty five minute interview that he gave in nineteen sixty. Two going into 63 right before he was assassinated with cbs it is one of the best interviews and i'm not the biggest kennedy fan but i'm becoming a kennedy fan um he gave it was one of the best interviews where he basically outlined in my opinion what a what a hawk should be which is you don't court war you don't seek to, you know, pick fights everywhere. You pick your battles and you don't always have to, when you do pick a battle, you don't always have to fight conventionally. You fight in a way that that is actually conducive to your interests and straight up war is rarely conducive to anyone's interests. So I, it, you know, th- there was a great interview and I'll, I'll retweet it again today so you can see it and I'll tag you. But, but that and the Reagan you know, what we're talking about with Reagan sort of, to me, defines what the right path forward for being a hawk without being a neocon really is. Well, it's like what you see right right now, right? And for all future listeners, today is Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. And obviously you and I are, are, are both more uh, Trump-leaning, so we're going to have yeah. some bias, clearly. But it's almost like the rabid Trump's Trump's a, a psychopath. He's leading us into he's leading us into World War Three. But now that the administration is over and we can look at it, yeah, uh, no new wars, withdrawals, right. peace on our de- our attempt at denuclearization on the right. Korean Peninsula, a bunch of peace right. deals through Jared Kushner in the Middle East, and then we have the quote unquote adults back in charge. But right. let's just look at reality. It's horrible. Let's just look at reality. Let's right. not even look at domestic issues. Let's just right. look at reality. Right. We are we are goading ourselves into world war three general Nakazone right. of the NSA. I think that's where yeah, he still is that. said yesterday that we are doing yeah. offensive operations from Ukraine against Russia. Yeah. We gave Ukraine those new, uh, I think 50 mile uh, missiles, which isn't uh, nothing, but still, and Ukraine promised not to use them against Russia. Yeah, but we you are, know they will. Yeah. And, uh, and then as like, so even there, just out of face value, you look at someone like Reagan and you go, right. oh, the, the evil empire guy. But what ultimately happened? We ended everything right. without, without well, World War Three. And the reason we did was not only because of what we were talking about with Star Wars and these sort of uh, winning without fighting strategies, but Reagan really understood intuitively um, what the Chinese today refer to as comprehensive national power, CNP. So the Chinese, and this is similar to the Soviet correlation of forces analysis that the Soviets used to do. But basically the Chinese look at a potential rival, a competitor on the world stage, and they look at the whole society, not just the military power. They look at the guns and the butter. 
And then they put it all together in an assessment and they try to make projections. This is where they're going to be strong. This is where they're going to be weak. If we can do this, we can overcome them here and then we'll have a greater chance of winning there. And so Reagan figured pretty quickly, if you rehabilitate and you enhance the American economic order at home, you will have that sort of knock-on effect where you strengthen America abroad and you make us so appealing to potential allies that they come to our side rather than the Soviets at the time, the Soviets. And and we're so competitive that, that the Soviets just can't keep up and we just break them economically because they just can't keep up with us and their people are so dissatisfied. And, and so that was sort of how Reagan was able to defeat them. It's what the Chinese want to do to us. It's why the Chinese still, I keep telling the DOD, yes, their military is growing, but the reason the Chinese military is growing and becoming an increasing threat is their economic power, the economic power, the geoeconomic power of China is the biggest threat today. And it's something that we are unable and unwilling to counter, especially now that Joe Biden is in charge and he's basically bought and paid for by the Chinese Communist Party. But, you know, that's that's where we are. And so that comprehensive national power, Reagan got it. You know, he figured it out. Trump got it. That's why we had such a good economy until COVID until COVID hit. We had the best economy we'd had since 1969. In many respects, it was better than the Reagan revolution. Um, and people don't give Trump credit for that, and he, they should. Um, well, was, um, was it Reagan, and was it after his president? And this is where my history is getting fucked. But I do, I do believe he and an ex-Soviet premier, and, and I could be entirely fake news. Maybe it wasn't Reagan, and maybe it wasn't a premier. But it was like after his presidency, they went on like a domestic flight over the U.S. or something. Like as they were landing, they were, you know, coming down over some suburbs and the Soviet guy was looking and he was just looking at all of the pools and backyards. And he was <laughs> like, he said something along the lines of like, this is why you won. It wasn't right. it wasn't just weapons. It was the, the party was better. Like the right. parties, you know, you look right. at like fraternities in college and it was right. like, well, I guess, ironically, the fraternity housing, we had a pool and it wasn't about right. putting other people down. It was just like, dude, that party just looks really, really right. good. And in turn, right. everything else kind of flourishes right. out of that. It's the appeal. It's the appeal. Right. And, and you know, the I, I don't remember that story in particular, but there was an incident where in 1989, Boris Yeltsin, who was uh, a member of the Soviet parliament, he was a member of the Supreme Soviet, and he was a close political ally at that moment with Mikhail Gorbachev. Because remember, uh-huh. Boris Yeltsin was a reformer and Mikhail Gorbachev was doing glass nose and Paris Right. And so... Um, Yeltsin is visiting the Johnson Space Center uh, in in Houston, Texas, and he's being shown around NASA. And then afterward, he says, hey, look, I want to go to a grocery store. And the the guy's like, well, okay, let's let's, we can go to there's one right down the road. Okay. And so Yeltsin goes to the grocery. There are pictures. You can Google Yeltsin at the grocery store. Yeltsin, his his face is pale. His eyes are wide and it's not because he was drinking. Uh, it's he's he's looking around at the, the abundance and the vibrancy of choice for not the elite, yeah. but for an ordinary suburbanite American middle class, even lower class in some cases, American going to the average. This is the average grocery store experience. And he said to the 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 American that was escorting him, he said, we, he goes, not even the Soviet elite have this. We don't even have choice like this. So he goes back home and 
at that moment is when he says, not only do we have to reform our system, our system is dead. It can't work because we can never yield this to our people or even to our elite. And that's how I know it's dead. And at that moment, Yeltsin not only was a reformer, but he actually kind of started to challenge Gorbachev because he said Gorbachev wasn't going far enough. That Gore, you know, and that was sort of the divide between Yeltsin and, and of course Yeltsin would go on to become the first president of the Russian Federation. But it was that that scene in the grocery store in Houston, Texas, where the future leader of Russia realized, my God, we can't we can't compete with these people. That's that's it. Yeah. It's I mean, I think about when I went to Valdosta State University from like my first two years of college and uh, I wasn't really, I didn't really know if I wanted to transfer or not. I was like, yeah, I'm pre-med, whatever. And I remember visiting UGA where all all my friends from high school went. And like, I knew objectively had like a better science program. They had a better percentage rate at sending people to medical school. But I remember what it was, was Valdosta's Greek life. You had like four fraternities. I was in one of them and you have like a tiny little like house and there was like three bars downtown. It was just on right. this like strip of dirt downtown. There was just like a strip of like three bars with a right. connecting parking lot. And I remember visiting UGA and it wasn't like the respectable science program that really sucked me in. I right. remember just me and my buddies who were GDIs, goddamn independents, weren't right. even in fraternities. And kind of like what you're saying with groceries, their access to party capability. Right. Right. was better than like what the elite fraternities had. Cause I remember we right. went downtown, downtown Athens. It's like 110 bars and like two square miles. There was, wasn't just a patch of dirt. There was actually street lights and cabs and everything. There's balconies and you see everything. And you didn't even have to like be in the Greek life insider. You could just be a kid from a dorm with a fake ID and have more fun than right. like the elite fraternities had and I remember right. going back to Valdosta and I was just in my mind, I was like that alone. I was like, right. I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm just going to jump ship. Why try to fix right. this? And then I went there and obviously the science program is incredibly good as well. But like, it was that simple. You're right. The access to the layman. Yeah. And I was like, I was from, I was from the, 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 the Politburo, the Greek Politburo <laughs> from Valdosta. And I went and visited and I was like, what, what is this? And it was just like, <laughs> oh, dude, you can have like a ball with $10 and like no street right. cred. And I was like, this, it can't be beat. Right. And that's what that's what it is. And, yeah. And and today, my concern is today we are starting to look yes. a lot like the old Soviet we're, Union. We're starting and, to look like Valdosta. And Mr. Joe Biden looks a lot like I keep telling people I had David Goldman laughing when I first said this. I said, you know, we've reached under Biden the Konstantin Chernyenko stage of the death of a superpower. And if you remember, Chernyenko was the old sclerotic leader after Andropov, right before Gorbachev. And he was he died. I think he died in the office of a heart attack, if I'm not mistaken. But he was he was this just horrible, angry, bitter, mean old man. He was a party hack. He that that's why he got it, because he was the safe. He was the safe bet after Andropov's insanity. And he was just this doddering old man that did nothing, couldn't do anything without his minders. The whole country was read was run not by him because he was too old and kind of out of it. But it was run by his advisors and his his you know family members and whatever. And so uh, for that year or so that he was in charge, he wasn't actually in charge. And the and Soviet Union was dying all around him. And nobody cared because, hey, it was a return to normalcy. And it's the same thing here. And now you look at the choice 
uh, you know, go to the grocery store. I just went to the Publix here uh, and a lot of green signs for things that are basic, you know, you know, you know, foodstuffs. Uh, sorry for the inconvenience, but with this, this product is out or, oh, you can only buy one of these yeah. due to limited supply. And I'm like, this is insane. This isn't, this isn't this the is, U.S. This is, a, this is not the U.S., yeah. Uh, you know, and so this is and so we are starting to look less appealing, I yeah. think. In fact, the editor, uh, the Sunday Guardian Live, which is an Indian publication that I write for occasionally, she asked me to write because I, I was flying the country two weeks ago and I was tweeting about what I was experiencing at the airports. And it was insane how the, the, everything's super expensive. Everything's always been expensive at the airport, but it was super expensive. They didn't have the food. You know, I went to the restaurant to get a, a simple sandwich. They didn't have a burger. They didn't have this. They didn't have that. You know, it was completely running out of everything. And so I started tweeting about, you know, is this America? Like, like we literally... We don't. Oh, we don't have. A, we don't have a Pepsi. Oh, why don't you have Pepsi? There's a supply chain issue. I mean, I'm not a big Pepsi fan, but you know what? It used to be in abundance when I was coming up. It's not. I didn't think twice of it, you know. And this is yeah. this is where we're at right now, and it's going to be this way for a while. And now there's going to be a popcorn shortage because there's a run on the corn, you know, with all the the stuff in Ukraine and these growing issues in Latin America. So we are not living in America uh, that Yeltsin visited. We're living in mm-hmm. the country maybe that closely more resembles the country that Yeltsin left in 1989. Yeah, and that's. Yeah, and I guess the and then the question is like, can China, can China replace that? And it's, is you know, we look maybe zoom out and look at military power, and it's like the average Joe, the average Tommy isn't operating like a, a space based laser. The average Tommy right. is like, hey, the price of my chicken has last summer it was five fifty a bag. Right. New Year's Eve it went up to seven seventy four. Last week it went to ten fifty two. Right. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking right. at Zoom Walt class carriers. That's, or, that's right. Frigates. That's right. I'm looking at my bag of chicken. Right. I'm going, dude. Well, even the baby formula shortage. I mean, thank God my kids are, you know, they're toddlers, so they're past that. But I, I just remember my daughter had to be on a special baby formula, my youngest, uh, when we lived in Virginia. So this would have been about five years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. And I, I keep thinking, like, if she didn't get that, we couldn't feed her normal food. Yeah. You know, we couldn't. And so, like, what are parents doing now? It's insane that this is the the supposed free leader of the free world. We can't even get baby formula. We're having to import it from Europe, a reverse Marshall or a reverse Berlin airlift. And people in Washington I was talking to two weeks ago, they're like, oh, yeah, well, thank God for our allies. I'm like, stop and think about you're proud of the fact that we've now become the receivers of humanitarian aid when we should be the ones doling it out. Yeah. You know that, that you shouldn't be proud of that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and this is uh, and this would be another part, but it it doesn't. People are like yesterday, Janet Yellen came out and was like, "They're unforeseen." I was wrong, and so people are like, oh, right. "Give credit where credit's due." She admitted she's wrong. Right. Okay, well, sure, she should maybe, resign. Maybe, but people are going. It's so scary that like the adults don't know what's going on. And man, I'm sorry, I don't like Biden, but they, they're not stupid. This is. To me, this is malicious competence. Well, well, consider this also. Biden's not in charge. No, well, I, I no, think, yeah, I, I, think, I say Biden. I think, as the I regime. think the highlight of that. I think last night, and I was tweeting about this last night. So two days ago, Biden said we're going to give aid to Ukraine, but we're not going to give them these long-range missiles because they're going to use that to hit deep into Russia, not just like on the periphery. They're going to they're going to hit Russian cities, and that's going to cause a problem for us because they they're going to know we gave them those missiles. 
Well, there was a big hubbub in Washington, D.C. from both the left and the right. A colleague of mine, Rebecca Heinrichs, was sort of lighting me up saying, you know, you got to be supportive of, of giving weapons to, like that to Ukraine because they're fighting. And I like Rebecca a lot and she's brilliant. But I was saying, you know, this is unforeseen escalation territory here. Well, you know, everybody got on Biden about that. And then within six hours later, just last night, he announces, actually, no, we're going to give them those systems because it's the moral thing to do. And I'm telling you right now, we are speeding up that escalation ladder happily. And then you had Nakasone's uh, uh, remarks about how we're waging unremitting cyber war. And I'm like, dude, fight club. For, even if you're going to do it, the first yeah. rule is you don't talk about it. But you just do it. Yeah, well, you know, even then, and yeah, no, you look at all the comments and all the comments on those articles are like, why are you even saying whether or not we should be doing this? Why are you saying? It? And because again, I think they want everybody to know we're doing it. Well, and that's eventually what you have to do. You have to go. You can't let your, like your hatred. I don't mean you. I mean like mine. Right. You can't let your like hatred of an administration make you go. These idiots. They know you don't become. Right. The, you don't become the head of the NSA. Yeah. By they by, want by making a whoopsie the place that's wrapped in copper so no photon right. escapes. Right. You don't come out and hold an a press right. a conference and go, we're doing this. Right. Uh, you, right. It's you, I think, uh, you know, it's my hope is that they're thinking we have to escalate to deescalate because this is how the Russians think. But my theory is that's probably not. I think that's too much credit. I think what's probably happening is someone somewhere in the Biden administration is saying, we've got a hell of an election we're facing. We're going to lose. Wartime president looks good. Uh, well, we already know, you know, uh, today, the what was it? The guys who replaced uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, they were talking about the midterm variant of COVID oh, yeah. and how that sort of and I think that's at play here, too. hundred percent, you know, and so I think that the the Democrats, because these are the Democrats are much better about understanding power than Republicans are. Oh, I yeah. worked on the Hill long enough to know. I mean, I most of my friends were Democrats on the Hill and most of. Most of the Democrats, when we would go out drinking, we'd go to the bars on Capitol Hill and they'd be making fun of me. They'd be like, we get you let us get away with this. Do you have any idea what my boss was doing? And your boss was just like, OK. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I got it. I got oh, yeah, it. And no, they're you got to like, respect you know, it. They're and so they think it's hilarious. So the Democrats understand power dynamics better than we do. And they they apply that understanding a lot better and, and holistically mm -hmm. than we do. And so they're the people sitting there going, that's conspiratorial. I'm telling you, there are Democrat strategists going, you know what? It worked for FDR. It, it, you know, it's a it's a risk, but we've got to try to be the wartime president now because there's yeah. some there's some traction there, and it might get us over that 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 edge that we need to stay in power. Because if Biden loses Congress, that means two years we're going to lose to to investigations to you know everything that we did to Trump. On some level, the Republicans are going to apply that to Biden, and it'll be the end of Biden, yeah. and it's going to be the end of us. Yeah, and so that's what I think is is at play here. Yeah, it's um. What was I going to say? I've I've, I've interviewed uh, uh, Joe Flynn, brother of of General Mike Flynn. Yeah, he said yep. that he said that his brother's concern is I brought up something like the midterm variant. He goes, "Well, like we can't they can't replay that card. No one's buying it." He said that General Flynn, this is from Joe Flynn, his concern is that there's going to be something. They're going to use something for why it's not, and I know this gets brought up every two years. They're going to suspend elections, and it's never right. happened. But there's going to be a midterm variant that doesn't necessarily mean well, covid it could be war i don't want to sound insane here but 
they are actively now trying to disarm the population. That's for not a reason. insane. It that's not insane at all. They, well, because when you say that to the ordinary person, they go, "Well, no, there was this horrible shooting." We're, in we're through the looking and, glass now. And I I'm think like, we can I'm like, I'm like, you know, whatever happened at Uvalde, I, I'm not, I wasn't there. I don't know. It was terrible. What happened? Sure. But what I do know is the reaction to Uvalde, which is such a clear cut case of police incompetence. They they literally did not follow basic protocol. Um, they pepper when it comes to school sh- trying yeah. to run in. They, they they didn't well even when you do a school shooting situation, you, the police are told you have to be in immediate direct contact with the shooter. Change after you have Columbine. to be in his the face. Protocol changed after you, Columbine. Right. You walk by kids bleeding protocol. out and you find the shooter. Right. They didn't follow that protocol. They did the exact opposite, which tells me that. This is a, more of a case of police incompetence than it is a case of our Second Amendment rights being too open to people who shouldn't get guns. That that is a that is a smokescreen. And so why? Well, this is all happening and being used now or being done now, six, five months before this very serious election. This is a very, very important election. I know midterms usually aren't, but this is a very important election because this is going to make or break Joe Biden's term in office. Um, And it's going to determine whether the Democrats have a shot at winning presidency in 24. And so if they lose Congress, they're probably not going to be able to get 24, the presidency. And so they want to disarm the population, I think, because they're thinking January 6th, that was an insurrection. Look what happened now. Imagine if they had guns. And I'm telling you, this is what some of them in power are thinking behind the scenes. And so they're using this school shooting to say, we're going to disarm the population. There's 5 million or so you know, gun owners. Most of them are, are Republican. So we got to get, get rid of them because we know January 6th, there was a fifth column of, of Trump supporters. Trump has an army. He has a Navy, for God's sakes. Remember all the boat parades? You know, he's, 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 got, he's, got, he's got his own army. Uh, you know, so they're doing that. They're doing this thing where, where it looks like they're ginning up a conflict with Russia. They're doing this thing where they're, you know, you go down the line with the COVID, you know, maybe that's not enough, but you put that with the other stuff and they have critical mass here. It's all about disempowering our side so that they have enough to keep themselves just enough in power. They don't care if they win by a 2% majority or a 200% majority. They don't care as long as they win. And this is how they're going to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's like, like, it's like March Madness playoffs. That's right. Get the win. doesn't matter how you get, you get the win by one Nine, right. you know, ninth overtime doesn't matter if it's a layup, right. you take it. That's right. Um, that's right. I was gonna say it's like that. I gotta let you run in a second, but it's like that. A uh, meme. Uh, the, the only reason the government's trying to take away your guns is because for the first time in 246 years, they're gonna do something that you'd shoot them for. That's right. That's <laughs> hey, Brandon, right. And we're, we, we're, <laughs> you know, we just ran the biggest experiment on what people will let the government do to them the last two of years of all time. That was that was IOP Central. You know, they now know. And it's yeah. not pretty. I've, and, you know, and I've, so it's not going to be pretty. And and I wouldn't be surprised, maybe not in 22, but there is a chance in 24 because it's the presidency we're talking about then. I don't think Joe Flynn's right about suspending elections in 22. I don't think they're going to do it then. But if they are going to try something like that, it would be the presidential election. Yeah. And especially if they don't win 22, they're really going to be chopping at the bit for power. Oh, yeah. Maintaining power. Oh, yeah. And it's, that's the uh, scary thing, because we're definitely at a fulcrum point in our country's history. And, you know, I don't want it to be this way. And I really hope that I'm wrong. And, you know, I'm not one of these people jonesing for Civil War 2.0. No, um, yeah. But, you know, it's definitely not pretty out there. And D.C., 
um, has a very different view of what's going on in America than the rest of America does. And it's very scary. Yeah. Very scary. Yeah. It's uh, at a green beret on the other day. And in his words, it's going to be spicy. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll, um, uh, I'll wrap it up really quick. I was going to say one idea I saw um, about the school shooting is um, it's maybe it's not the traditional disarm. Maybe it's to get everybody to hate the police so that you can uh, roll out a national police that kind of sure. like the federal government overreach kind of a possibly. Uh, uh, but I just think it's very interesting. Also, this morning on Morning Joe, Mike Barnacle was sitting there going, I don't understand how the Democrats lost the politics here because they should be making natural alliances with the police to get these guns banned. And I'm like, dude, they've just spent the last three years. The Democrats have trying to abolish the police. So like what what you make up your mind? Are you for the police or are you not for the police? I think I think there's maybe more credit than I like to think that it, may, it might be getting rid of these sort of local yeah. factions, which are police. So you can roll out, have some chaos and then <clears> you have to have the police. You get some new Department of Homeland Security police force. Well, ironically, though, it was a Border Patrol agent uh, uh, off duty border Border Patrol federal guy who actually ended the whole thing when he got a shoddy and he ran in there and he was like, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So yeah. the one agency that we like, they don't like the Border Patrol. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I we don't have enough time to touch on it. We'll have to next time. I was going to say, I want to know, I guess we'll kind of tease it the next time. I want to know your thoughts on the Tianjin explosion in 2014. In relation okay. To like yep. 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 Because that was really close. That was right after the day. I think that China like really devalued the devalued their currency. Yep. I think Xi Jinping was supposed to be in Tianjin that day, yep. and it's like a block away from where they were housing their new supercomputer that just yep. took the lead. Yep. Man, a little looks, ironic, though. A little, man, little coincidental. Man, that little looks coincidental. like man, that looks like some a lot rough. of random explosions. Another thing I've been tracking real quick at my mm-hmm. website was the 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 random fire of the Patrick Henry. Or the, I'm sorry, the Bonhomme Richard and the random fire of a very similar warship in China right thereafter. Now they blame the sailor in the Bonhomme Richard, but I thought he, I thought there was something more to it. Uh, you know, random explosions in Russia at these key logistical hubs. You know, you know, random explosions in Iran. I mean, we have capabilities that are not advertised, and I hope Nakasomi doesn't advertise them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we have capabilities that people don't understand. I did a lot of work with the NSA, you know, consulting with them, and we have stuff that we can do, you know, so... just hope I'm alive for the audiobook before I die when I'm like 80 <laughs> or 90. And they're like, some whatever, there's going to be some weird code name. It's going to be like Arctic, Arctic Tap Shoes was a program running right. in 2022 right. where we used particle beams from space. Right. And like, I know it. But right. you have another show in 60 I seconds, do. so I got to let and you run. Let's loop back and, and do this again soon. Absolutely. I will, I'll right. send it to you. I'll text you, all that good stuff. I'll put all your all right, in the description. You. Brandon Weiger, thank you so much.